Mars, the red planet, the final frontier. You know, we're headed there one day. That's what Mike Pence said back in 2019. Our objective will be to establish a permanent presence on the lunar surface, and from there we will develop the capabilities to journey to the red planet of Mars. With NASA's goal to eventually send humans to Mars, understanding the atmospheric conditions and weather patterns on the planet has become increasingly relevant. In this episode, we'll delve into the differences and similarities between Earth and Mars's atmospheres, explore the unique weather on Mars, and even discuss the potential use of moon dust in geoengineering. I'm meteorologist Emily Gracie, and you're listening to Off the Radar, a production of the National Weather Desk. On the show, we dig deep into topics about weather, climate, the ocean, space, and much, much more. Our goal is to help you better understand the weather and to love it as much as we do. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Atmospheres are so important when it comes to life. It impacts everything, even sound. Listen to this. Here's what ocean waves sound like on Earth. Now let's listen to the same clip, but this is what it would sound like on Mars. Now, Mars doesn't have any oceans. I know this because of today's guest, Dr. Scott Rafkin. Dr. Rafkin is the Assistant Director of Planetary Atmospheres and Services Department at the Southwest Research Institute in Boulder, Colorado. Unlike most atmospheric scientists, like myself, Scott studies atmospheres beyond Earth. Scott has a talent for making complex science concepts understandable for all levels. So whether you're a science enthusiast or simply curious about the red planet, this interview is sure to captivate and inform you. So sit back, relax, and join us as we go off the radar and 133 miles into space with Dr. Scott Rafkin. I want to talk about weather on Mars because it does have weather, correct? So it yeah. must have an atmosphere if you're studying it. Yeah. yeah, Mars does have an atmosphere and it does have weather. It has lots of things that would look uh, familiar to us on Earth. There's also lots of things that are uh, literally alien to us <laughs> um, and a little bit of stuff in between. Okay, so let's start with what is the atmosphere made of? Sure. Yeah, so Mars's atmosphere is made primarily of carbon dioxide. Uh, it's got a little bit of, of nitrogen and a little bit of argon. 
but mostly carbon dioxide. It also has some interesting trace gases, in particular, uh, it has water, water vapor. And um, that's important for cloud formation and, and things that, uh, that we are a little bit more familiar with on Earth. So for those who don't know about Earth's atmosphere, what that is made of, can you tell us about that and how they compare? Yeah, so Earth, unlike Mars, is mostly nitrogen. It's about 78% nitrogen. Um, and uh, most of the rest is oxygen, which is the result of photosynthesis. It's from plants. And uh, Earth also has lots of other trace gases. Water, of course, which is what uh, produces our clouds and precipitation. And we're also very, or most people are familiar with the, the, the trace gas carbon dioxide, which, of course, is important for the greenhouse effect and climate change. Right. It feels like we're trying to get rid of the carbon dioxide. So it can't be good on Mars either. This is it's not a place we can hang out because of this. Yeah. So the, I think the one of the big differences or key differences between Earth and Mars is that Mars' atmosphere is very, very tenuous. It's very thin. So uh, even though it's mostly carbon dioxide and on Earth, we think of that as causing a greenhouse effect and making things warm. Um, and even though Mars' atmosphere is mostly carbon dioxide, overall, it's just got very, very low atmospheric pressure. So just to give you an idea, uh, on Earth, we sometimes use the units of millibars and the surface pressure on Earth is a thousand millibars, give or take. It's a nice round number. On Mars, the surface pressure is about seven. So, you know, it's order a hundred times less atmosphere at the surface of Mars than Earth. It's a very thin atmosphere. So how far up in our atmosphere yeah. would we have to go to get to that point? Yeah, if you, if you go up in our atmosphere to about 100,000 feet, that would be the equivalent of the surface pressure at Mars. And so 100,000 feet, that's you know three times higher than commercial aircraft fly. It's uh, you know four, almost five times higher than Mount Everest. So it's way up there. And that's just to get to the surface pressure of Mars. So it's beyond ear popping stage. Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about weather on Mars. Yeah. What do they experience? Do they have hurricanes? Do they have rain? No, they don't have hurricanes as far as we know. They, and we don't have rain. The, the temperature on Mars is far, far too cold for any liquid precipitation. Um, but they do have snow. Um, and... Uh, and uh, we do, they do have storm systems kind of like we have on Earth, particularly in our middle latitudes like we experience in, in the United States and Europe um, and Asia. Um, these are storm systems that have low pressure centers and high pressure centers and cold fronts and warm fronts and sort of those things that we're used to seeing on, on a weather map. So Mars has those. Um, they're a little bit different in nature, but they exist. There are also, um, I would say, the, the enigmatic dust storms on Mars. Most people know about dust storms. And, of course, we have dust storms on Earth, too, but they're kind of a different beast um, on Mars compared to Earth. And so Mars has lots of dust storms in, in various sizes, from uh, small-scale ones and even dust devils, uh, all the way up to these uh, storms that uh, cause global uh, impacts and, and blot out the sun globally on Mars when they get going. So something that we always think about, well, scientists always think about when it comes to steering weather patterns is the Coriolis effect. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious, first of all, if you can tell 
people listening, what that is and how it plays a role in our weather. And if that's a thing on Mars. It is. And so um, the Coriolis effect is the apparent deflection of moving objects due to the rotation of the planet. Uh, And it, it manifests itself on Earth by roughly in the northern hemisphere anyways air flowing um, uh, counterclockwise around low pressure systems clockwise around high pressure systems it reverses in the southern hemisphere but um, that's the in terms of weather that's uh, an important role of the Coriolis force and it just so happens that Mars uh, rotates at about the same rate as Earth so its day is a little bit longer but it's, it's 24 hours and change, almost 25, but they are pretty close to Earth. And so the Coriolis force is kind of similar too. And so when Mars has low and high pressure systems, which it does, the air flows around those systems on Mars in the same way that they, they do on, on Earth. Cool. Yeah. And they have a northern and a southern yeah. hemisphere. Too. Yeah, and the, and the same exact thing. So in Mars, the, the you know, you get a counterclockwise flow around lows in the northern hemisphere on Mars, and they go clockwise when you get down to the southern hemisphere, just like on Earth. Yay, cool, very cool. Um, Okay, so you are monitoring weather on Mars. We have some really great tools here, but we're also existing here. I'm curious how you're monitoring the weather on Mars. Uh, We monitor the the weather on Mars in lots of different ways, um, and in some ways also similar to how we do it on Earth. So to start with, there are orbiters at Mars, um, and these have uh, cameras and uh, not just visible cameras, but cameras that uh, operate in the infrared wavelength and the ultraviolet wavelength. This allows us to see different features of, of Mars's atmosphere, like clouds um, and dust. Um, and in the infrared, we can also use uh, different kinds of intru- instruments to actually probe the uh, temperature profiles, the dust profiles and what the water vapor distribution is like. So that gives us some nice global uh, contacts and global pictures to, to kind of see how Mars's atmosphere uh, is structured and how it's um, moving around kind of on the large scale. And then we have, uh, of course, uh, uh, weather stations that are on, on the ground. These are uh, primarily on, on rovers. Uh, like the Perseverance rover or the Curiosity rover. And they are just very similar to weather stations on Earth. And they tell us what's going on right at the location of the rover, what the temperature is, what the pressure is, um, and to some degree what the winds are, what the relative humidity is, or what the water content is. So we can uh, look locally and see what the weather is uh, doing at, at, a, at a place on Mars. And we have the orbiters to give us context for how all that uh, you know fits into the global picture. Is there anything that's popped up over the last few years as you've been studying it that you've been really surprised and intrigued by? Yeah, I think there's there's lots of things. Um, I, you know, overall, the the especially at the surface when we look at the weather data, it kind of does what we thought it would do. But so one, it's really good to get the actual details and see and just confirm that, right? Uh, so that's part of science is you know you make predictions and we think we know it's going to happen and it's going to get the data back to see that. We weren't too far off, but there there are some uh, some things that are interesting. Um, the behavior of dust devils and, and when and how dust is lifted has been a, a little bit surprising. Sometimes we think there should be more dust devils and there aren't, or we think there shouldn't be dust devils and there are. And even just the, the idea of lifting up dust on Mars is kind of an interesting thing because the air is so thin. 
So, you know, when the, when there's so little air, how does it actually have enough energy and momentum to actually pick this dust up off the ground? We've also seen some really interesting uh, phenomena related to the uh, topography of the places that we've landed, which are mostly in, in these impact craters or impact basins. And so we see very strong um, daily upslope and downslope flows that are very localized. Um, we have seen things that we believe are uh, what are called like a bore wave. And these these actually happen on Earth too, but they're, it's a very interesting structure of kind of cold, dense air that moves in underneath uh, some warmer air and produces some strong winds and, and uh, other interesting uh, features. So lots of dynamics. The, 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 the Mars atmosphere is very dynamic and we've seen just some wonderful range of, of phenomena uh, come out of that data. So other than eating snow boots, what else do humans need to know <laughs> if we're starting to head towards that eventual goal yeah. of getting humans on Mars? How, how do we prepare? Oh, boy, there's so much to be to be done. I mean, so first of all, um, you, you know, you, you can't walk around on Mars without uh, appropriate um, environmental protections, right? You can't take, you don't want to take your helmet off, your blood would boil, you'd have no oxygens, right? So, so, <laughs> so one key thing is just, you know, being able to set up these artificial um, habitats and artificial environments such that we can provide, a, a, you know, an atmosphere for us to live and, live and breathe. Um, the, the, I think the second thing from an atmospheric standpoint is the dust itself. Um, the, uh, you know, when, when there's a lot of dust activity, it impairs uh, your vision, impairs visibility. You can't see very far. Uh, so that can be a hazard. Um, and also the dust is, uh, can get into everything, <laughs> right? So when that dust gets picked up into the atmosphere, um, it blows into all the machinery, all the seals around the doors, presumably around the doors and things that you use to, to, keep the Mars atmosphere out and keep your artificial atmosphere in. So there's lots of things to consider about the atmosphere. We also are, are very unsure about um, the electrical properties of the atmosphere. So when all this dust is in the air and colliding, is there essentially static electricity that's created? Can that produce small discharges or, or electrical shocks, which can damage electronics and other things? So lots to consider from an atmospheric standpoint. And of course, there's other things uh, besides the atmosphere to worry about on Mars as well. So you say electrical discharge. Are you talking about Mars lightning? Could there be Mars lightning? There, there could be. And there's been uh, some searches to see if, you know, if there's any evidence for that. And I, it, it, there really isn't anything conclusive about Mars lightning. So, and again, well, it should be clear, Mars does not have thunderstorms like we have on Earth. So the primary producer of lightning on Earth primary producer are, are, are thunderstorms and, and clouds. So they don't have those on Mars, but they do have, you know, very uh, deep and convective, bubbly uh, dust storms and dust activity. And so there is the idea that maybe uh, lightning and electricity can be produced in that matter. Are you studying weather on other planets at all, or are you mainly sticking with Mars? No, I do. I study uh, uh, weather on Earth, of course, on Mars, and, um, and especially on Saturn's moon Titan. Interesting. Specific. Yes. Um, my son the other day told me about, is it Saturn's hexagon? Yeah. Which is that the big storm? I didn't know about that. That's been going on forever though, right? Yeah. So when you look at the, at Saturn and, um, well, Saturn and Jupiter, and uh, they have really complex weather systems. 
Um, when you get up to their to their polar regions, um, they have polar uh, vortices, polar polar vortex that circulates around. A lot of times, those take on very interesting structures like hexagons. They stick the cloud patterns into different hexagons. So, uh, and there's lots to learn there. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> cool. Does learning about weather on other planets help learn about Earth's own processes at all? It, it does. There's a, there's a two-way exchange of information. Of course, Earth, we know, as an atmosphere, we know most about Earth compared to other places. And so we, uh, we take our knowledge of Earth and we see whether it, it applies to these other atmospheres. Um, are, the, are the basic atmospheric uh, physics that we think we understand on Earth, do they can we apply them to Mars? Can we apply them to Titan? Can we apply them to other atmospheres? Um, and if if we can, then that uh, is a strong indication that we probably understand the physics pretty well. Uh, th- the reverse also occurs, though, which is sometimes we see things on these other planets that don't occur on Earth or don't regularly occur on Earth. And that gives us an opportunity to uh, understand some new atmospheric processes and kind of ask the same question of, well, do these things happen on Earth and maybe we just don't see them, maybe we need to look for them, or why don't they happen on Earth? <laughs> so those kind of things. Um, and I'll also say there's a, besides the weather, there it is the, uh, the importance of, of climate, and I make a distinction there, but of course climate and climate change is a big issue on Earth. And Mars um, is a, another atmosphere with with a different climate, but we can understand or try to understand what are the processes that are operating on Mars are similar to Earth. And we can validate our climate models and our, our climate thinking to see whether the, uh, the, the assumptions and other things that we make are, are appropriate. I, I could literally ask you questions all day, but I won't. <laughs> uh, this is really, is there any research you're working on right now that you're really excited about? Yes. <laughs> uh, you're excited about all I'm, of it. Yeah, I know. It's a very <laughs> difficult question because, um, you know, I've spent I, my whole career, really my whole life has been about studying the atmosphere. And so I get excited about it. And, um, you know, there's very, I would say all the topics interest me, but, um, with respect to Mars, I think there's uh, really a lot of, especially now interesting work going on, um, about the, uh, the dynamics and, and energy energetics of, of dust storms and how they form, how they maintain themselves, how the dust that is lifted into these systems actually, uh, either help to amplify or diminish the strength of these systems. Um, it, this is primarily through a, a, a radiative forcing, which is that as yes, dust goes up in the atmosphere, it's pretty bright. And so on one hand, it kind of reflects the sunlight out and, and can you know lose the energy can be lost through that reflection. On the other hand, the dust also does absorb uh, sunlight and can warm. And it's also a very strong absorber of infrared radiation of heat. And so uh, all it has to get factored into how the, the energy comes in and out of these systems and how they develop. And there's some really interesting work going on right now by a variety of researchers to, to try and put it all together and see if we can understand why Mars dust storms blow up sometimes into these big monsters and why sometimes they're there. And then we look again and they're gone. Where do they go? So what's going on? Interesting. Yeah. I read an article the other day. I didn't, well, I didn't fully read it. I read the title of the article the other day and it was um, about moon dust to um, reflect the sunlight on earth or or something. 
Yeah, there is on Earth, there's this idea of so-called geoengineering, right? Yes. And, um, <laughs> you know, the, the Earth is getting warmer. This is uh, due to, uh, you know, primarily to the input of carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases. This is not a good thing. So one way to, to, to stop that is to directly stop putting greenhouse gases into the atmosphere or even, even remove them. Um, but that's uh, politically and geopolitically very difficult to do. Um, and, uh, so the other idea is, well, while we try to figure that out, can we use some stopgap measures? And one way is to just make the atmosphere essentially more reflective and nature does this sometimes it's volcanic eruptions. It puts aerosols, primarily sulfate aerosols high up into the stratosphere. These are very reflective and they, uh, the sunlight reflects off and causes a noticeable cooling, a temporary cooling the atmosphere until those particles come out. So the idea of geoengineering is, well, let's just put the particles up there minus the volcanic eruptions, but we can just put the particles up there ourselves and see if we can cause this cooling. Why like why moon dust though? Don't we have our own dust? Is it made up yeah. of something special that's going to do a better job? I I honestly I just like no, I, I haven't title. heard. <laughs> it's a really good question. I haven't heard about moon dust in particular. Um, I know the 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 primary thing they want, they're thinking about is are sulfate particles, um, and and those are pretty easy to make. Um, and there's no doubt that by adding uh, bright particles, whether I suppose it could be moon dust or sulfates or, or anything else, there's no doubt it would cause an increase in re reflection of sunlight. It would almost certainly cause a cooling. The The problem is, the worry is, is the unintended effects, right? Uh, and uh, particularly if you're looking at sulfates or other things, there's chemistry that goes on. There's photochemistry. We don't want to cause uh, a disruption in the natural chemical cycle, which could, let's say, impact ozone and other things like that that we care about. And so we need to be really cautious and careful about that because it's the unintended consequences um, that we worry about. And, uh, and not all of them could be good. Always the balance as a scientist, yes. I yeah. assume. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Scott, that was great. Thank you so much. I think we have a full understanding of Mars weather now, so I really appreciate that. Sure. My pleasure. Thank you, Scott, for that fun and informative talk about Mars. Off the Radar is a production of the National Weather Desk. Make sure you're following the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. New episodes publish every Tuesday. If you know a space enthusiast, please share this episode with them. And feel free to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Let us know what you think of the show. You can also suggest new topics for us to touch upon in future episodes. Check out our YouTube channel where you can see the video version of this interview. There are links in the description where you can monitor weather on Mars. All you have to do is search the National Weather Desk on YouTube. This podcast is produced, hosted, and edited by me. Special thanks to Eric Newell and Richard Cook for their contribution, and also thanks to NASA for the sound clips at the beginning of this episode. I'm meteorologist Emily Gracie. Make it a great day. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.